Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC Studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions Podcast from the GoPowerCat Home Studios and Dog Room. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Midnight Carmody, and Gils Gilbert. They have officially forfeited their first names that they were given by their parents. Who's your daddy now? Yeah, I went there, Zach. Okay. <laughs> so, Zach, I actually went twice late last week to our sponsor, The Fridge. Loaded up on beer. I didn't make great decisions with the beer. You know, when you're trying to buy for yourself and your wife, it doesn't always work out. I kind of ended up with the minivan of beers. The minivan of beers. But like the low-calorie, high-mileage minivan of beers. Didn't Mi- work out. Michelob Ultra? No, I'm not going to name the brewer because it's a it's a well-known brewer that I love. And just the fact that Boulevard makes okay. crappy light beer, <laughs> I don't want to call them out for it. <laughs> I was going to ask, is it I a wheat beer that has 100 calories or Easy something? Easy Sport, maybe, is the name of it. It wasn't. It was, no good? No. I've gotten kind of tired of Boulevard wheat. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting when you go to the fridge and look at their all their Boulevard products now. It is very varied. I think... It's like I, a bunch of IPAs. Yeah, I wonder what... Uh, They're going is, the tall grass route. Exactly. I, I wonder what the balance is here for brewers to be testing new products, putting things out there. You know, I I think it started with them with their chocolate stouts, I think they were doing or something, that would just literally fly off the shelves. And I never was into that kind of thing. But now they're all into these fruity things and weird stuff and sour IPAs and sour. I'm I'm like, do you have pale ale? Do you still have that? Is that here somewhere? I mean, it's just overwhelming. And and back to your tall grass, I'm still frustrated yeah. over that. I'm still frustrated. I think the two things you have to do when you're starting a local brewery. That Boulevard did and set a perfect example for all to follow. One, establish a core product. The product. Boulevard wheat. You know, you might be tired of it, but it's on tap handles everywhere. And that's number two. Make sure you're in your local market on tap handles so you create ambassadors all over town when they travel. They talk about your product. And honestly, if you're a local brewer... It's what you need to do, and I'm glad to see Manhattan Brewing Company um, 
who is not a sponsor of this podcast, but wonderfully locally owned brewing company doing that. Their tap handles are beginning to show up as they move into that area of business. We're also sponsored by our friends at Tanner's and the High Low. Make sure you stop in those places. I'm meeting a buddy for lunch on Friday at Tanner's. I I propose that we have a 3 p.m. lunch. I think you know what I was up to on a Friday. He said we can do that, but he has to go at noon. I'm like, okay, this is good. <laughs> this is good. Oh, I, I'm told, um, if you don't know, this podcast is taking questions from our VIP subscribers at Wallpass Station. We answer them for all to hear. And it's a, it's a proven format. It works great for us. But I, I'm told uh, our loyal user, Mountain Ducat, went uh, above and beyond. Maybe like beyond above and beyond, like he became obsessed with asking questions. Zach, how many Mountain Dew qu- cat questions are we taking, and why aren't we taking more? Just one. One? Just one, because he asked a whole bunch that we could probably make a whole podcast out of it. But he didn't ask about KU football or the – well, I think he might have asked about the draft, but they were like more general questions. Should, should we do a uh, like a second podcast maybe early next week or something, the Mountain Dew cat Additions, perhaps. Okay, but we got a lot of timely topics to talk about, including KU's hiring of a a football coach. Hire I like quite a bit. I think they did a good job with this. Other topics to be discussed include Zach. We got uh, Lance Leipold. Leipold. We had it, folks. We had had to watch the press conference (laughs) to find out how they introduced him. And I didn't realize his name is spelled L E I P O L D instead of L I E Leopold. So it's Leipold. We're going to talk about the draft a little bit, and then we've got some fun questions in here a little bit. Ooh. We're going to do an extensive coverage of the K-Staters drafted over the weekend. <clears throat> but the streak started again. Is it a streak No, yet? it's not. The streak doesn't start until year two. Or is it three? I was told it's three. I think that's the rules from Major League. The movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it. That's called a winning streak. Yeah, very good. It's good. You you have not seen Major League. Nope. There oh go. my god. There's your homework project. <laughs> Probably won't watch. Me and Zach. Oh, it's watch really it. good, actually. Oh, I'm not I'm not criticizing the quality of the movie. I'm just saying that my time probably will not be spent okay. on Major League this week. Okay, my favorite part's when uh they use voodoo to try to bring wood to life. So try to get the bat to work better. <laughs> Just hit home for me lately. Hey, uh, let's get rolling with your questions from Wabash Station. Make sure <laughs> <laughs> Zach was taking a drink. I apologize. It's, you're sitting right next to the soundboard. Don't spit. Uh, make sure you stop in the fridge and Tanner's in the high low. And here's your questions from Wabash Station. Here's Ryan Gilbert. First question of the pod is from Win the Dang Day 2001. Comparing the records before hiring, who's is more impressive, Lance Leipold or Chris Kleiman? It's a valid question. If you don't know, Leipold comes from Buffalo, where over six years he compiled a 37 and 33 record. And, and that's mostly because he inherited a really bad program, five and seven, two and 10 in the first two years. His last three years were 10 and four, eight and five, six and one in the pandemic shortened season, including not playing Kansas State. Don't forget that. That would have been very interesting. Mm-hmm. That was supposed to be the first game of the season last year, and it got wiped out, mostly because the MAC initially said they weren't going to play. 
So that wasn't that wasn't wise on their part at all. Before that, though, he was at Wisconsin Whitewater, which sounds like a place that is lovely when it has white water, but probably could also be named Wisconsin Frozen Over. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, he went a mere. Let's see, what is this? Three, uh, eight seasons. In eight seasons, he he only went a hundred and nine and six, and one. It looks like six national championships, Division Three. So, I mean, the fact that this isn't Division Two, folks, this isn't FCS, which, if you don't understand, is not Division Two. That's above Division Two. Division Two is Washburn, Fort Hayes, Emporia State, Pittsburgh State, Northwest Missouri. That's Division Two. We have no, that I know of, Division three schools in the state of Kansas. No, we don't. The, are there some in Missouri, Nebraska? Uh, there is none. Well, there is one in Nebraska, Nebraska Wesleyan, which is in Lincoln. Yeah. That's right. That's right. There's there's a large pocket of Division three schools in that upper Midwest area. I know this because my aunt or aunt, depending on what part of the United States you're from, um, was the women's athletic director at Kalamazoo College. And they had... Really successful athletic programs there, but they're all non-scholarship. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. I think this is that's something to keep in mind, too, when you look at that background, because um, even at the NAIA level, which NAIA and NCAA Division Three are extremely comparable as far as talent goes. Um, the only difference is at the NAIA level, there is uh, athletic scholarships for Division Three. There is no athletic scholarships and obviously tuition is extremely high. So. You really have to be more of a recruiter um, at the NAI level when you're looking at talent, but at the Division three level, you have to go for the kids that usually are a bit more financially uh, stable and are also smarter. Um, and so that's how – those are usually the type of kids that end up at NCAA Division three schools. So I just – when we talk about this, I think that's something to keep in mind. There, there's a lot of ways I can go with this, and I'm not familiar with Division three recruiting. Honestly, I just haven't been around it at all. So I'm, I'm not sure how they go about it. I know at the NAI level, there's a lot of Pell Grants, a lot of government, a lot of the loans that go out are at that level. Um, and it, it gets a little more complicated to recruit. So I, I don't have a full grasp on what goes into recruiting to a pure walk-on program like this. Maybe it can be said it's more challenging. There's a smaller pool from which to select and to get that level of athlete might be a sign of being a great recruiter because you're getting the best of the best from the small pool of which you're selecting. So, um, or it could be that he doesn't really grasp fully what it would be like to recruit at the big 12 level. Now he did keep on three coaches from the previous staff, including some of the best recruiters. I thought that was good. Folks, I think it's a good hire. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a really good hire, but like any other hire, it comes with some question marks. And for me, that would be at recruiting, which he seems to have addressed by maintaining people who are proving that they can recruit. And uh, he's a little bit more old school. So I'm I'm curious about your guys' thoughts about an old school disciplinarian we're going to do everything the right way. I don't know if he'll be as old school as a Bill Snyder in which you're going to wear a sport coat all, you know, before games and after games. And you can't have ball caps and earrings in the building. I don't know if he's that old school, but he is going to be a take care of business kind of guy. I'm sure if you show up to a one o'clock meeting at 102, you're going to be running. 
Les Miles didn't strike me as that. Les Miles struck me as a guy that wants to be everyone's fun uncle. And not even a good guy at reading a script. Uh, so I think it says a lot about his recruiters that he was able to, they were able to get so many players in there when their coach was a total buffoon that didn't, shouldn't have been in that spot. So how do you think you guys are younger than me? You're more in touch with how college athletes would be thinking now. Will this roster of players recruited by Les Miles react to a more old school disciplinarian guy? Sure, there'll be some of them that stay, but I bet you a lot of them will leave. I mean, it's just if the if the coaching style is different, if one's quote unquote a player's coach and one's you know a disciplinarian, I don't think that those are going to mesh well as far as the athletes go. I'm sure there'll be some people that buy in, but you know when you're losing a bunch of games the last two years and you get this guy in, and you know I, I don't know if a lot of the players will say, yeah, we're going to win games if we do it this way. You know, I think there's. It's going to be quite a few people that just say, you know what, I'm out. Would retaining Emmett Jones maybe solve some of that? I mean, he's he's the big-time recruiter. He was the interim coach. That's who the players wanted to be, interim coach. And I think they wanted him to be head coach, which I'm a little surprised he didn't get more look at it, even though it would have been a gamble. So, Cole, go ahead. I think he had to keep him. But to answer your original question, hell no, they will not like it. <laughs> There's no way because you hit the nail on the head. Les Miles didn't care. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, they're they're going after these kids. Their top recruit, they had to get off of scholarship because of, you know, the allegations he had with domestic violence. So, I mean, that's the type of kid that Les Miles didn't care what type of kid there was. Not that's the type of kid they're going for. He didn't care what type of kid they were. They were. If they could play football, if they were from Texas, if they were from Florida, if they were from Georgia – well, that's the type of kid that he wanted to come into the program. I, there's no way with today's athlete that if a kid – a kid doesn't change overnight. A kid doesn't change overnight. There's no way that if a kid is not used to a structure, they're going to be able to adjust to a structure. Now, those kids that are used to structure might be able to adjust to not having as much structure. But those kids that are used – that are not used to having structure cannot adapt to having structure because that's the society we live in. Gills, does it help – that they didn't have to go through the spring football with him, I think it actually helps Kansas. To These kids, players, yeah, they'll stick around through the summer and then they'll be in fall camp and they might hate it, but the season's right in front of them. Yeah, but if you you want to get those bad weeds out of there before the season starts, you know, so you get the guys that don't want to buy in, and uh, so you're looking at it from the coach's perspective. Uh huh. So I don't know. I see both sides to it, though. I do. I think that it's a definitely going to be a culture shock when you have this guy come in and. You know, if, if this was the other way around and you had, you know, Snyder come or you had Kleiman come in with Snyder, you're going to have a lot of guys that stay. But it's not that way. So I think a lot of guys are going to leave. I don't know when. I think it might take them, you know, that that first initial couple weeks of practice to realize, holy, you know, holy crap, this is not going to be what it used to be. So we'll see what happens. We'll see I, what happens. I think, too, I mean, coming from a Division three school, I know it's been a f- few years since he was there, but I would imagine the same way, the same thing is true at Buffalo. This is a, obviously a coach that is extremely involved with everything. At the Division three level, you only have maybe 10 coaches with, you know, maybe a two or three GAs. The coaching staff is extremely limited. So he is doing on-field coaching at that level. I know because I played at an AI level and I know what, you know, the coaches uh, do have to do on a daily basis. You are in charge of the program. You are the main recruiter. You are the main coach. That's something that 
not necessarily true. I don't know how much coaching Chris Kleiman does on the field during practice. I don't know how much coaching Bill Snyder did on the field during practice. I can imagine it wasn't a lot, but at that level, that's all that the coaches do. So he's going to be involved. He's not just going to magically change his ways and not be involved with the actual personnel on the field. So how he handles that, and I'm not exactly sure if he's an off. It looks like he played quarterback, so I would assume that he is an offensive coach. Um, he's been an OC in the past at Nebraska Omaha. They don't have a football program anymore, but that was a Division II school. So he's going to be heavily involved in the offense and the actual coaching, I would imagine, of the quarterbacks. So um, how they handle that, I don't know, but I think that that's also something worth keeping an eye on. I do want to get back to the initial question was who's, you know, comparing the records between Chris Kleiman and Lance Leipold. Did I say that right? Leipold. 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 You can't say it without a little lie. Man. That's right. It's perfect. Who had the more impressive record? I still think it's Chris Kleiman. Oh, I he was. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's easy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think, like Cole has said, you have to be a good coach to be coaching at D three and winning, you know, six or seven national championships. No, I, it I'm was. not. I'm not dismissing at all what he did. Yeah, good coach, but Chris Kleiman did it on a much bigger scale. You know, it's similar. You know, he wins four back to back. It's similar. You know, it's really good. I'll say this. I I think. You know, in the previous seasons in which they overlapped when he was at North Dakota State and Leipold was at Buffalo, if they played head-to-head, North Dakota State wins those games. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe the last season would have been interesting. I mean, in 2018, when Chris Kleiman was winning a national championship and Trey Lance was redshirting, that's how good their talent was, Leipold went 10-4, and four, went 7-1 and one in the MAC. And uh, went on to the Dollar General Bowl, which, you know, is one of those. uh, It's up there with the rose and orange. And it's, I mean, I remember as a kid, we'd wake up on New Year's Day to watch the Dollar General Bowl. It was a big deal. Uh, But they lost that game. They they lost the Dollar General Bowl. What a fitting name for a group of five bowl, though. I got to find it. I can't find it. Buffalo, Troy. They lost to Troy. So they lost to West Virginia's coach in the Dollar General Bowl. That is interesting. That was Neil Brown's last year at Troy. And they lost 42-32 to the Troy Trojans. So if you went to Dollar General, you would find the Trojans. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It was the Troy Trojans against the Buffalo Bulls. Troy Trojans and Buffalo Bulls. Man, I feel bad for the announcers of the Dollar General Bowl that year who were, by the way, God, Wikipedia is amazing. They were Anish Shroff. Anish Shroff. Anish Shroff, Ahmad Brooks, and Roddy Jones, who I think was also a wrestler. I might have made that up. Next question. Going off of the same topic here from Jedediah, will Lance Leipold's hiring at KU impact K-State's local recruiting efforts? Well, this is this is something our own Ryan Wallace noticed. And, you know, when, when you're covering a coaching search, you get all kinds of signals. Sometimes they're totally meaningless. Sometimes um, things overlap, you know, and like one person has heard a rumor and someone else said, I heard that too. And it ends up being they heard it from the same person. You got to be careful of this stuff. Wally immediately noticed all of a sudden Buffalo was offering kids in the KC metro area, which they had never done before. Mm -hmm. So it makes me curious, how long ago was this really over? 
Or did he just say, look, I think I'm going to get it. I feel good about it. Let's go into Kansas City and offer a bunch of kids. And what do we have to lose? I mean, maybe one of them comes to Buffalo if I don't get the job. But if not, I've made it my presence felt already and I'm already in the market. I think it was brilliant on his part. So, yeah, he obviously he's already showing more interest in in-state products than Les Miles did. I don't care how limited the talent is at home. You got to try to keep some of it and and not just keep the occasional player that just doesn't want to go to K-State and goes to KU. You got to win some battles and, and for the right reasons. You know, I mean, they won some battles, honestly, where the kid just didn't want to play for Bill Snyder or whatever. Okay, congratulations. They were miserable. But Jax Deneen is what their problem is. A legacy player who should want to play at Kansas. Everything on that says, I grew up here. My brothers play there. I should go to Kansas. Went to Kansas State. So that tells you all you need to know right there. He's invested already. That's good for them. I think, too, I mean, when you're at, I keep going back to this, but when you're at a Division three school, the majority of your players are going to be in-state. Right. I guarantee you that is a priority for him is how do I get the talent from Kansas to come to Kansas? I think that there's lots of talent within the state, specifically in the Kansas City area. I mean, how many times have we seen kids from Kansas City come to K-State or even go somewhere else have a, an immense amount of success? So I think – Priority number one for him should be, and I think is, getting those kids from Kansas City specifically to come to KU. And I think his background as a Division three coach recruiting in-state is only going to help him with that. I don't know how much it impacts it until KU starts winning. I mean, it's going to take the wins before I think right. kids are, you know, saying, yeah, I actually want to go to KU, you know. Um, it's frustrating right now to see K-State, you know, how they're performing with kids in Kansas – but it's not like they're losing them to KU. So, you know, it's it's one thing to, to see K-State and be like, man, we should be getting this kid or that kid that went to Nebraska or Ohio State or wherever. But at least they didn't go pick KU over K-State. Until we get to that point where KU's winning and then you're losing to KU, that's where it becomes concerning. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, Zach. I mean, if you had mutual interest and offers from K-State and KU, you'd have to be on some sort of drug to want to go to KU. Well, that explains it. <laughs> you kind of nailed it there. Uh, who are we accusing? Look, I'm I'm of the belief if you're the Kansas football coach, if you invest your time in the state of Kansas, and hell, you can just pick the Eastern Wichita over, Wichita Salina over if you want. Maybe Hayes this year because they've got some dudes. Um, and invested in Lawrence and Kansas City in the Metroplex. I'm talking to Missouri, into Missouri, across to St. Louis. And, of course, getting into the base, you know, any Texas, Oklahoma kids. And then anything else you can touch on and looking at their roster, it looks like New Jersey was their recruiting base. New York, of course, but New Jersey, too, with Buffalo. Um, They really did a good job. They've got the outliers there from Florida or, you know, somewhere else. But for the most part. This is New Jersey, New York. New Jersey was. I don't know if it still is. But I remember when Iosaba came to K-State many years ago out of New Jersey. That was on the same level back in the day as Ohio and Texas and Florida and those type of states. So maybe he does go back into New Jersey and try to bring some kids to Kansas, playing up on the academic reputation. Um, 
So I don't, it's just going to be intriguing to see where they end up recruiting. I think too many coaches go in and try to do too much with recruiting. You can maybe make an argument that K-State's done that. Mm-hmm. We're trying to recruit too many areas as a staff. They're trying to have a little bit here, a little bit there. And they're kind of leaning on who's been in places. Like you you got to recruit Colorado when you got Colin Klein. I mean, you've got someone from there that has a presence and a name. Uh, but I, I think if you're trying to build from Kansas, you can get into – this is a fascinating time to build a program. You can get into all of those areas I just mentioned – Kind of stick along I-70 for the most part, dip down into your other Big 12 states, and then lean on junior college. Yes, it's not a sin. Les Miles, you were an idiot for trying to totally abandon junior college recruiting. It's it's almost the same as saying, I'm going to go drug-free. Well, that's great. You're not going to take cocaine or heroin anymore? No, I'm not going to do ibuprofen either. You know what? I mean, there's some uses here for this and the transfer portal. So, I mean, all of those things give you some real leverage here. Man, if if you're him and you've got 10 roster openings and you can go into the portal right now and find a bunch of kids who might got overlooked, honestly, for reasons that you normally wouldn't take a kid. He failed drug tests or he he yelled back at the coach. If you're him, you're thinking, I can straighten that out. And you're going to be honest with them. I'm not going to put up with that BS here. Maybe you can go steal some kids out of the portal that are still parked in there. There's a lot of kids in the portal right now. And I would imagine he has the same view as Chris Kleiman brought to Kansas State from North Dakota State. He probably truly believes there was kids at Whitewater that could play at the Big 12 level. Now, I, I can affirm that Chris Kleiman's right. There was plenty of players in Fargo that could play at the Big 12 level because we just saw one go number three in the draft, and I believe an offensive lineman went in the second round. So you, you probably can't say that about Whitewater. But as a coach, you think, I can go, I can identify guys that everyone else has missed out on and bring them in. It's going to be fun to watch. It'll be very interesting. From Itame BB, do you have any preference in your head coach's background, i.e. from the offensive side or the defensive side of the game? No. No, I don't. I don't, I don't but I, I think you need to let them build their identity. You know? I mean, let them do their thing. What got them there? That That's when they were looking at Jeff Monken. Is that how you pronounce his name? From Army? Yeah. I mean, no. he's he's an offensive coach who's run. I mean, granted, he, he knows other offenses, but he has run a triple option offense, a variation of it. Why would you hire him to run something else? It's like I'm good at, at talking on into a microphone and writing into a computer, so hire me to paint your house. doesn't make sense. So, yeah, you got to – whatever they do, let them do it. Chris Kleiman's doing that with defense. He's stuck with people with like-minded, although his original hire for defense coordinator still baffles me. A guy that runs a three-man front <laughs> when you've never done that. I still can't sort that out. But um, – and then, you know, let whoever you hire on the other side of the ball, let them do their thing. Now that he happened to hire his buddy who runs an offense that he believes in. And this is important, guys, is cohesive what you want to do on the other side of the ball. And I think that's where Baylor finally figured it out. 
in the in the last years of them being good was they decided, hey, we're going to give up a lot of points. Our offense puts the defense in horrible positions because we score so fast. The defense goes on the field and has to give up points. So Phil Bennett said, well, screw it. If we're going to give up points, I'm going to blitz on every other play, try to create chaos, get some turnovers, and that worked because you don't want to be the defense coordinator at a spread offense school. You just don't. So whatever, it has to work together. But, yeah, I don't care, but I kind of agree with Gene Taylor Defense wins championships. If you're bad on defense, Oklahoma's shown this. You're not going to go with win at the highest levels. So if you're good there, you can go fix your offense. I think for college in the NFL, it's different. And I agree with you in college. I would say I really don't have a preference. But for the NFL, I would 100% say offense just because, and I know this is going to sound like a homer, but based on what Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have done to actually change the NFL, I mean, you look at how many coaches in the NFL are getting hired because they were on the Andy Reid tree or they've worked with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury got an NFL job because he coached Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, I think in the NFL, I would prefer offense 100 percent of the time. Um, But in college, I think you almost have to be we have to throw in recruiter as another option in this. I mean. I don't care as long as you know what you're talking about and you're a good recruiter. I think you're going to be a successful collegiate coach. But I think that translation from the college game to the NFL game, you know, going towards this, you know, crazy high power offensive game and it's come from the college game. I think that you do need to have an offensive style of of play in in college. And I think that a head coach there benefits. I know that we say that Oklahoma, you know, they haven't done well, you know, and their defense falls apart. But having that offense is what kind of keeps you there, at least how I see it. Yeah, I I think I think. You know, running the running the Bill Snyder just run, 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 run game. I don't think that that's necessarily going to win championships in the next ten years. That's just the, that's the, the, the game has evolved. Right? Is that's the other step? Is I don't care what side of the ball they're on. They better be an innovator. They better understand the evolution of the game. And for the most part, Bob Stoops did that on the defensive side. That's what I was going to say he, too. He evolved what they were doing. It it got away from everyone with the spread. And now we're seeing it come back. People are beginning to figure out the spread a little bit better, how to, you know, basically protect those check down routes and take it away and make a quarterback uncomfortable and hold the ball, uh, those type of things. Uh, But Bill Snyder was one of the greatest innovators. I mean, Zach just defined what people think of him as. And if you know K-State football, he ran the spread before the spread was a thing. He ran five wides all over this conference when it was a running conference. And then it comes back to be a throwing conference, and he starts running the quarterback, and he starts running the ball. Now, I agree with you. The way they were going about it wasn't going to win you at the highest levels. But then again, uh, I'm I'm not going to be as innovative as I was in my 50s as, well, hell, let's say this, 30s as I am in my 50s. And for him, it's his 50s as, as he is in his 70s. So, um, yeah, just make sure you have a free thinker that can – Solve their own problems. Nick Saban's a defensive coach, too. And he's the best coach in yeah. arguably any football ever right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, – it's it's a preference, I think. I think another quality defined in a head coach is to look at his staff and where his staff has gone. Mm-hmm. Particularly at a place like Whitewater where guys are getting paid 40K a year or something. You know, and and probably moving on to other jobs. Where did they move? Have they been successful? Have they learned anything from their coach? And did you call them? 
did you call up the defensive coordinator who left after two years and say, what was he like? Maybe he says he was a total jackass and he treated his employees horribly, including his, his student trainers. And you got a red flag right there. Or maybe he says, this dude is brilliant. He prepared me for in two years to be a head coach. So, uh, you know, that's doing your due diligence. I don't know in uh, the five-minute introduction that not Jeff Long, the new AD at – thank you, Zach, for that <laughs> – yeah. at uh, Kansas um, made if he mentioned any of that. But he sure did talk a lot. Took us a long, long time to get to the actual introduction. Last question of the first half from El Camino Cat. Who do you think are our most valuable assistant coaches, football and basketball? Which assistants do you think have the brightest futures? Jane Southwell has the brightest future. Yeah. At least for basketball. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, obviously. You just talk about he's he's got so much in front of him, and uh, he's not cruising, man. He's out there finding guys. What We just we got a story up on the front page right now about a, mm-hmm. a four-star that was an Oklahoma commit, um, Rylan Griffin, that all of a sudden he's – what he's Thomas Gibson's cousin, 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 cousin yep, yep. And all of a sudden, K State because of Shane's involved in him. Man, Shane's stirring it up. Mm-hmm. It's impressive what he's doing. I think on the football side, it's a little bit different because you got a little bit more experience over there. But I start with Connor Riley. I mean, we just did this piece predictions who are K State's future NFL stars. It was a VIP piece, and I originally in all five classes picked offensive linemen. I went back and changed one. Uh, but um, because of Connor Riley's history of putting guys in the NFL from North Dakota State, so he knows what he wants, and he started recruiting those type of players, and we're going to start seeing that pan out. So I think Connor will be a head coach. I was going to say Van Malone. And I, I'm a yeah. I don't mean to dismiss anyone. Van Malone, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. I'm telling you what. Why Van Malone doesn't get love for head coaching? Um, I, I could say what I'm kind of thinking, uh, but I'm not going to say it. Um, but by God, someone needs to call that guy. He's, he's a, he's an amazing recruiter, a, and the way he handles himself and talks to the media and from everything that we've heard from what the players talk about him, he sounds like he's just as involved as anybody within the veneer complex. He's amazing. That, 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 that's the first name that jumps out to mind. And I agree with you. Shane Southwell maybe has a, you know, a brighter future, but I don't think Van Malone's future is that far off from being a head coach no, or shouldn't be anyway. He should, he should be a head coach soon. I don't understand it. Colin Klein, of course, I'm a big Klanderman fan. I think Joe Klanderman has the demeanor of a head coach if, if things fall right. So, um, yeah, I mean, when we get down the road five years from now, if Chris Kleiman's still at Kansas State, which means he's been successful and he's been loyal, he's going to start building a tree. If he starts winning games, if next year they win nine games, ten games after a bowl win or something, someone's going to get a head coaching job. It might be at a WAC school or a Mountain West school or a Sunbelt school, but they're going to start getting jobs. So that will be very interesting to watch. But, again, that's another trade I look for. I think saying, at least for football, saying who has the brightest future, I feel like a lot of these guys – you know, not that they're they're old, but they've been in the industry for so long that they can go wherever they want after K State. Right. You know, there isn't there isn't a future where they're just going to build and keep going. You know, up. You know, they're probably, you know, with the exception of a few like Van Malone and and Connor Riley. You know, they're mostly going to be assistants for the rest of their coaching career, and that right. and that's fine. But you know, one guy, you look at the position group and where it's been and where it could go in the future. I think Buddy Wyatt, at defensive end, co- defensive ends coach is is 
probably the future, at least for K-State for me, if he can develop Nate Matlack, if he can develop Khalid Duke. And if those two become guys, I feel like, you know, I might be cheating a little bit by making this a future prediction. But, you know, if those two are good, I'd give it to him. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Especially, especially with how Wyatt Hubert developed under Wyatt. So. I agree with, with Malone and, and Southwell um, as far as brightest future goes. But for most valuable assistant, I think Lowry on basketball, this might be a little bit of a hot take here. But with a lot of the recruits I talk to, they, you know, he is their man. And, you know, Lowry's not a perfect, you know, coach. But as far as the recruiting goes, I think he's very valuable. Um, Southwell's tapping into it and he's getting better. He's growing. He's taking over that role. But I still think Lowry is, is very important for that, bas- that basketball team. You know, I'll say this. Uh, what Another trait of a really good head coach is something I attempt to do. Whoever you've got at your side fills in your gaps. And that's really what Weber and Lowry do. Yeah, yeah. They fill, I mean, Chris Lowry does a lot of the stuff that fills in when Bruce Weber isn't. He's a little bit more a recruiter, but when Weber wants to go out, he can take over as the head coach of practice because he's done it. So they really are a good team together. They really are. And I right now have Zach helping me out, uh, which means I don't have to worry about social media. And he puts up videos and is the adult and remembers stuff. So then I'm Southwell and Midnight is Henderson? I don't, I don't know about that. I think, <laughs> I think you're both Southwell. I want to be J.O. You're Southwell. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I want you to be J.O. too so I could start a City League basketball team. <laughs> okay. That will do it for the first half of this edition of the Powercat Questions podcast. We'll be back on the other half with a few more questions from Wabash Station, including the one we picked from Mountain Dew Cat. Don't go away. GoPowerCat.com's Powercat podcast continues after this short break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the PowerCat Questions Podcast, sponsored by The Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Our segment sponsors are Tanners and the High Low. Please support local businesses here in Manhattan. They've had some rough times. Get out there and get in there. 
That makes sense. I think it made sense. Let's continue with our questions while by station. Take it away, Gills. From Wyatt Bollinger, 15. Let's play the over-under game. Would you take the over or under on the following stat lines? And Just we'll go, go, one by, yeah, yeah. go one by one. We'll go one by one here with Skylar Thompson's passing totals at 2,800 yards and 18.5 touchdowns. Under on both. Under, yeah. Under. Be, be, those are numbers of a passing offense. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this is more of a balanced offense. Unless, you know... Deuce Vaughn is half of that. Uh, you know, that's what yeah. I mean. It, I think he can get 20 touchdowns. I don't know about 2,800 yards, but I think he can get 20, to 20 passing touchdowns. touchdowns. I do. I really do. I mean, that's only what? I'm trying to do the math here. I'm not that's a little, math major, but a little, a little under, under two a game. Under two that's a game. Do, I think that's doable. I'm with you, Cole. Because, I mean, you got to think how, how many games. If he stays healthy, they're going to play 13 games, assuming they make a bowl game, and possibly 14 if they have a really good season. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, I don't think that that's out of. Yeah, the realm I, of possibility. And I th- I also think it's important to note, too. I mean, how many touchdowns did Skylar Thompson throw against the, the bowling greens of the world when they come to Manhattan and he throws six touchdowns or five touchdowns or whatever he did the last time they played a non-conference matchup? So, I mean, I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. By the way, math was it's 1.7 touchdowns in a regular season. And, Cole, I'll say this. If they play 14 games... Uh, that means they're playing really well, and he probably will hit those numbers. If they play 15 games, then something <laughs> incredible is taking place. Yes. Uh-huh. Will Howard and Jake Rubley led the way. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'll go under on yards, but over on TDs. That's okay. really add up, but okay. I'm doing it. Uh, the thing, this translated from Snyder to Kleiman, there's a lot of 10-yard touchdowns that end up being quarterback draws instead of quarterback yeah. passes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will Howard, uh, two and a half rushing touchdowns. He didn't put a number on this one, so I just made one up. I put two and a half because I feel like that. I mean, we're assuming Skyler's going to be the starter. I feel like that's probably when you include the Bowling Greens of the world. Mm -hmm. I'll say yes. I think Will will come in in relief. I think Will might come in in short yardage situations to sneak the ball or something. I don't know. He might might come in to run the ball to try to protect Skyler. I don't know. Yeah, I I think over is probably fair. I do too. I think three, three's, three's a safe number. I think to take. I tried picking a number that was. I'm going to go with seventeen. Seven. <laughs> it's going to be really a strange season. I'll take the over two. I, I think he's in a clear number two quarterback, so he's going to get some playing time. And you know they've talked about using him as a wildcat quarterback or as like you know like the belldozer back in the day for Oklahoma. So, yeah, I'll take uh, I'll take the over two. With all due respect, I to Will Howard, I hope he doesn't have that much playing time next year, and I'm going to take the under. Okay. Deuce Vaughn, 1,600 all-purpose yards and 20.5 touchdowns. Over on all-purpose. I'm going to go over on both. Yeah. I think Deuce is going to have a big year. Under on touchdowns. It'll be close. I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to have a bad year. It's it's hard to say because we don't know how they're going to use Joe Irvin. Maybe they do bring Joe in. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, even though the, he's not much bigger, he is more of a power back than than Deuce is at this point of his career. So maybe they bring him in inside the ten yard line. What, do you, what did he have? Just under a thousand all purpose yards this year? I think so. In about in ten games? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I want to say over, but again, he was all K State had on offense last year. But I will say this: I think that caused him to have lowered numbers because yeah. everyone could take him away. Yeah, I think it, oddly, if they get a more diverse offense, his numbers go up too with less touches. 
but they weren't sticking him back on kick returns until late in the season, mm. too. You know, if he's one of the guys for kick return, I mean, it's e- 1,600 is going to be easy because he's not going to take right. very many touchdowns and or Joe touchbacks. Irvin, Joe Irvin makes that more accessible because then you don't have to go from deuce to taking the first snap, which he wasn't last year because it was usually Harry Trotter. Hello, Harry. And now it, uh, now it can be Joe Irvin. That's also double the touchdowns he had. He had nine touchdowns last year. Seven rushing and two catching, two receiving, excuse me. So, um, same thing. Yeah. 20 touchdowns, 21 touchdowns. That's a lot, I guess. That's a lot of touchdowns for a running back. I'll take the under on that because I do think also if you have your Malik Knowles and your Sammy Wheelers and your Daniel Lee Modern they're going to score touchdowns as well. Because right now we're looking at uh, 40 touchdowns roughly between the quarterback and running back. Um, yeah, you're, you're over three a game right there. That's scoring a lot of points. Yeah. Just from two guys. Uh, Malik Knowles, 750 receiving yards and 6.5 touchdowns. We'll go over on both. Because I think a lot of those touchdowns or a lot of those, a lot of those receiving yards are going to come from long touchdowns. It's going to be a combo, you know, like a 75 yard touchdown. That's 10% of your yards and one seventh of your touchdowns that you need. I want to go over on yards and under on touchdowns. I just think that they have so many options when it comes to the tight end position. And now with um, Jason Ray coaching the tight ends, I think there's going to be a little bit more of a receiving emphasis on that position when you have, you know, three guys that can catch the ball and score that are big bodies. Um, And if you count Malik knows you have four of those guys now. So, you know, if Taylor comes back, that's five red zone threats that you have just catching the ball alone. So I think it's going to be hard for Malik Knowles to score seven touchdowns, but it, it won't surprise me for him to be the number one target, you know, in, in the middle of the field and on short routes and that kind of stuff. I have a hard time trusting Malik this season, so I'll go under until I can really see that, that he's bought in and wants to wants to play. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out and gets 1,000 yards, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets sub 250. I'm with you, man. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, prove me wrong, man. Just, mm-hmm. uh, I, I know you were banged up last year, but you've got to close your eyes not to acknowledge that there was more than that going on, mm-hmm. that there were some distractions going on, some not being mentally checked in. Zach, you were at the games. You could see that on the sideline. Yeah. So prove me wrong, man. I say under. I say nowhere near it until you can prove me wrong because – um, you, you, I don't, you don't care, but you lost my faith, you, you know, and you should care that you lost the faith of those who follow the program, but, but you probably don't, which might be good. Might be bad. I don't know. Prove me wrong. Khalid Duke, four and a half sacks. I'll still go. I'm still going to say over. I'm a Khalid Duke fan. I just. I don't know what went wrong last year because he seemed to be in the position to make a lot of plays and didn't make a lot of plays. Right? Like he wasn't bad, but he wasn't spectacular. He did right. his job. He came every week in, week out. He did his job, but he didn't make a name for and himself. I feel like another year of getting bigger, stronger, faster could be the tipping point for him to be a better player. He could be the best pass rusher K-State's had since Jordan Willis. I don't think that's a stretch by any breach of the imagination. I mean, his speed on the edge. I mean, that's what the NFL looks for is guys who are fast. That's why I think White Hubert's going to have an uphill battle, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, 
but no, I, no. <laughs> well, there's no questions about oh, Wyatt Huber. Okay, well, never mind. <laughs> Sorry, Wyatt. I guess we're not talking about Wyatt. We will. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I that's that it doesn't seem like that high of a number, but I'm gonna take the under just because I want to see him. Like we talked about with like you guys talked about with Malik. I want to see him actually do it. And since he's going to be the best pass rushing threat they have, there's going to be a lot of double teams on him for sure. I'll take the over. I think it's just, I think four and a half is a low number. Granted, I could easily see him not getting four or, you know, getting to five. But I think that just him becoming kind of that number one threat that he'll live up to the occasion. I'll go over. Give him a, you know, a sack against KU and a sack against who are the non-con opponents? You got Stanford, Southern Illinois, Southern and Illinois. Nevada. Well, Southern Illinois. Give them a couple of theirs. Game. Go the. I can't talk. That's all right. Give it's only a, a podcast. <laughs> I'll give me over. Let me stop talking. Very good. Okay, yeah. I got to read the question though, don't I? <laughs> T. Denson, three and a half interceptions. Under. Under. That's a, that's Under. a good number yeah. of interceptions. That's a lot. That's a lot of yeah. interceptions. It's. And there's eleven guys on the defense. Unless yeah. you're Jamie Mendez, who do four in a game. He did that. T. Denson, the fourth cornerback, though. I mean, is he even yeah, going to get that much playing time? I'm not. I'm, yeah, <laughs> he's not the four. He's he'll start. He started last year. T. Denson only late, but no. Echo Boydo and Gardner. Was, oh, you're right. Sorry, I mixed that up. And then you get Julius Burns too. So, and that's just at the cornerback position. Yeah, yeah. I, I mixed up Echo Boydo. I'll and go T. Denson. way under. I'll yeah. be happy if T. gets one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Conference wins five and a half. Well, that's high. That's under. That's under. Hmm. I mean, to be over, you got to be six and three in yeah. this conference. Hell, they might be zero and three, three games into the Big Twelve schedule. They they might be capable of winning the last six, but after you lose your first three, are you capable of that? I mean, they might be the better team on paper than those final six, but after losing three in a row, yeah, I, I folks, I think. You better be happy, really happy with an eight and four season. If they can go beat Stanford, run their non-conference, and go five and four in this conference, you should be pretty damn happy after what went wrong last year with that. I, I hope you're right that this is a nine ten win season, but I just feel like fans keep setting themselves up for disappointment when disappointment shouldn't exist. I'd be happy with seven and five. Man, you guys are. Way under me. I I'd, I'd be happy at six and six, Cole. I'd be happy at after six what and happened six. last season. That I I hate the fear is that that is sign of a big slip that something's gone wrong. I just can't look. I at, don't believe that. Yeah, but that would be the trend. I just look at last season with everything that happened and how Chris Kleiman. Um, He's completely different than all the other Big 12 coaches. I mean, how many times against that uh, Iowa State, they could have canceled because of ha- having so many players out. And I think he's really just – he tried to play as many games possible to just try and get kids' experience. I think that's going to pay off in the long run. Um, I, I, I think this team can win nine games. I really do. Okay. So I'm going to take the over on conference wins. There you go. If they could go four and five last year with how everything, you know, like you just said, Cole, you know, panned out – I'll give him the over five and a half. I'm, I'm confident, you know, get yourself a healthy Skylar Thompson, uh, you know, give Deuce some help at running back. You know, Malik Knowles, if he buys in, I don't see how they, you know, can't win six games. I really, I, I'm really confident. I am. And I'm probably setting myself up to be disappointed, but I'm confident. Uh, after, after five, lo- five, a five game losing streak to end the season. That's, that's where I get six and six from for me. If you can get to six and six and just stop the bleeding, 
you know, because they they very well could lose that first game against this, Stanford. This team, for me though, this team was headed. This team had a chance to go to the Big Twelve Championship game if Skylar Thompson doesn't get hurt. And maybe I'm. I think I think we're. I think there's a little hypothetical saying that it's pretty early. They looked really good with him at quarterback in the beginning part of the season. Not Arkansas State. Not that game. Well, after that Oklahoma game, you could you could have convinced me that they were yeah. had a chance. After one, after one, after one game, after three quarters, they're getting their ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. After one quarter of football, last one though, seven and a half wins. I guess we kind of already addressed our thoughts. I'll go over. I'll go over. I think they're going to go eight and four. Yeah, I'll be happy with eight and four too. I'm going to go over. He's going to go under. I'll take the under seven and five. I got over. The the conference schedule is too tough at the beginning. Let's wrap it up now with Mountain Dew Cat. Here's your question. All right, this is the grand question. For Mountain Dew Cat 74, Fitz, oh, is the NCAA ruining collegiate sports? That's a deep question. It's deep. It's a fired up. That is a fired up. <laughs> rant, Fitz. <sighs> now, remember, in a few days, you're going to have to put this in order and really edit out your words. So speak well. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. When I go back... Uh, when we started doing these fired ups, I'm like, how many times do I Bruce Weber something? I start to say something and then I just stop and head off in another direction. Um, it's funny. I make fun of coach for doing it. I do it too. Um, is the NCAA ruining college athletics? Well, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, honestly, I think college athletics in many ways is, is very healthy in the fact that if you like to have the same football teams every year be the national champion, that's pretty cool. If you like dynasties, you got that. You've got powerhouse programs in basketball, although you still have an opportunity to be Baylor or Gonzaga and make it to the national title game and win. Um, if if you don't mind a little cheating, I mean, if you don't mind that the posted speed limit is 70 and everyone that's winning is going 85 or 90, if if you don't mind that, that's cool. I think the NCAA, though, needs to remember what its job is. Either redefine your job as being the funnel for all the money and you don't really want to look at anything else and let everyone cheat, or you're going to get down to business and do your job. I think the biggest threat to college athletics isn't the NCAA. It's actually what the NCAA doesn't oversee. And that's the only sport it doesn't oversee the championship. And that's college football. I was all for the playoff. I didn't like going to pick two teams and they get a play. That was BS. But now we've seen it become even worse at four teams because you're not in the club. They clearly are picking teams in the club. And I don't blame the NCAA for that. I blame the voters and the people on the committee for that. Now there's been reports that they're going to expand the playoff. They're finally listening to me. Because <laughs> I've been saying for years, screw the bowls. What is this tradition? This isn't 1970, and we all want to turn on NBC on New Year's morning to watch one after another the cotton, the orange, the rose. Which one am I forgetting? Fiesta? No, is the it, Fiesta uh, Bowl wasn't even in that. Sugar Dollar General. Sugar, Sugar Bowl. Sugar, Sugar Bowl. Bowl. There we go. Sorry, SEC. I forgot about you. Don't get mad. The Bulls have sold their souls out. Even the Rose Bowls presented by. Screw the Bulls, man. The Bulls are in it to be employers of their Bulls. Like, they create jobs for their people. 
the best job in athletics is being the executive director of the Buckethead Bowl. You make probably $100,000, work a little bit here, a little bit there, and then you got like four weeks of pure hell. All of us have jobs where we have four weeks of pure hell. Be an accountant or be a high school sports writer covering the playoffs and state finals and all that. The Bulls exist to kind of promote tourism, but it's not even that anymore. They don't even care about ticket sales that much. They care about ticket sales in the way that they can stick it to the schools to make them buy tickets. They don't care if anyone comes. It's not even about tourism anymore. It's about the television deals. Screw the Bulls. Expand the playoffs. Do you need to incorporate the Bulls into the playoffs? Well, if they want to be part of it, okay. Okay, but if the Rose wants to say, no, we want a Big Ten Pac-12 game, fine. You might get the third and fourth place teams. If the top two are in the the playoff, you're going to get third place. There's not going to be three teams from the Pac-12 in, but I think they're going towards a 12-team playoff. Now, I just said that's what's damaging the sport. A 12-team playoff will include Cincinnati. It will include a Boise State, a Central Florida. It'll include those teams. And being inclusive is good in so many ways. Being inclusive is good. You can't get over-inclusive. You can't have 68 teams because we want to create four more spots so we can create stupid games in Dayton, Ohio. That's that's not good. But if you wanted to go to a full another round of the NCAA tournament, yeah, I'd water it down. Yeah, the coaches would love it. But it'd be kind of fun, particularly if you went maybe to a half round, like all the eight seeds and above got a bye and everyone else had to play in. That might be kind of entertaining. The NCAA doesn't do its job as it's been laid out by its member institutions. That's my bottom line with the NCAA. That's the problem I have with the NCAA. Enforce your damn rules or change them. You're in charge of that. And and, and you can't just look at the NCAA and say you suck if you're one of the universities. That's your organization. Vote out the leadership. You just gave the guy a new contract. So that must mean you're happy. And why are you happy? Because you're all getting wealthy. And every AD is getting a raise. So if you just want to look at it from an economic standpoint, the NCAA is great. The people involved are getting wealthy. They're getting great. But I think the fans are getting screwed. It's harder and harder to get a ticket. The prices are going up. We're seeing it in major league sports, too. Man, it's just crazy. Everything's about to change with TV. That's a whole other topic. But right now, I'm not real happy with the NCAA, but the biggest problem has been the football playoff. Maybe they're going to solve that, and that's not even the NCAA. I'm not even going to add anything. (laughs) That's it? Boy, let you have it. I agree. Thank you. Cole, you disagree? Get a little controversy? I agree. Oh, wow. What ass kissers. I love it. I hire well. That's it for this edition of the PowerCat Podcast. We've got a lot more questions, folks, so we're going to end this one here that got extremely long, and we're going to put a period on it and going to do another one for tomorrow because we've got a lot to say. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com. Thank you.